0: Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 211 of the Tick Bootcamp Podcast. The title of today's interview is Ergo Hempco, an interview with Megan Ward. My name is Richard
1: Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello.
0: Matt, this is a young woman who grew up in the same community where I grew up, went to the same high school I went to, and was bitten by ticks many times during her childhood, just like I was. But the difference between my experience and her experience, or at least I believed it would be, is that doctors did not know what Lyme disease was during my childhood. They certainly know about Lyme disease now, but despite all the knowledge you'd expect doctors in a tick endemic community to have, this young woman got sick at eight years old and was not diagnosed until she was 18 years old.
1: Rich, CBD played such an important role in Megan's healing journey that she started to research it, become an expert in it, and even opened up her own CBD company. She talks to us in great detail about the different types of CBD, from an isolate to a broad spectrum to a full spectrum. She also talks to us in great detail about important topics related to CBD, like cannabinoids, terpenes, and the endocannabinoid system. If you're interested in taking CBD oil and how it can help you heal from Lyme disease, this is the podcast episode for you. So Matt, this
0: is a really beautiful transformation that this young woman went through. She was failed by the medical community at the diagnostic stage. Quite frankly, she was failed by the medical community even at the treatment stage, but she went out and found some tools that really worked for her and a game changer for her was CBD. And she now wanted to take this knowledge and make it available to the Lyme disease community so that they can overcome the sufferings that she had to deal with in a shortcut fashion. So Matt, I'm really excited to introduce the CBD expert Megan Ward from Ergo Hemco. Hey, Megan Ward, and welcome to the Tick Boot Camp podcast.
2: Hey, Matt. Hey, Reg. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: We are really excited to have you here, too. So, Megan, talk to us about where you're calling in from today.
2: I am calling from Cortland Manor, New York. It's a a little north of uh, the city, but I grew up on Long Island originally.
0: All right. So let's first talk about Cortland Manor, New York. What do you do in Cortland Manor, New York?
2: Um, I currently run a CBD business called Ergo ErgoHempCo, and uh, we'll get into that, uh, how that was formed uh, through this podcast.
0: All right, and I'm really excited to talk to you about that. So, um, and what is it like in Cortland Manor, New York?
2: Very similar to Long Island, um, less traffic, (laughs) uh, less people. But um, same kind of suburban vibes. Um, it, it's really nice in the fall. All the leaves are, are changing right now, and it's a beautiful sight to see.
0: All right. So let's go back to your time as a Long Islander. When did you begin your uh, your life on Long Island?
2: I was born and raised on Long Island. Uh, originally, grew up in East Islip, uh, living with my grandma and grandpa. Um, we had the East Islip Nature Center behind us on an acre property, and then. Uh, about a mile and a half down the road was the East Iceland Marina. So woods all around.
0: All right. So uh, you lived in a very suburban slash rural setting uh, during your early childhood living with your grandparents. And um, I'm assuming as a young kid out on Long Island, you were like most of us out and about in the woods at the marina doing all the things that we do in nature on Long Island.
2: Yeah, I was out in the woods uh, the second I got home from school, although I did have to change my school sneakers or I'd get in big trouble. Um, But I did go out in the woods all the time. And uh, oddly enough, one of the things that I did in the woods was collect deer bones with my cousin, Nicole, because that's what we did over there. Um, And, you know, now thinking back, there's a lot that uh, I wish I didn't do.
0: I understand you moved from East Islip and you moved to another community, and I'm only pointing this out because it's actually the community where I was raised. So where do you you live after you left East Islip?
2: I moved to uh, Bayshore and I went to Brentwood High School. I graduated from there in 2008, so I am a uh, Brentwood Indian.
0: All right. So uh, I actually grew up in the Bayshore portion of Brentwood as well. So it's another connection. So at least in my portion of Bayshore, we also had a large wooded area and we spent a lot of time in the woods. Uh, Some people that we've interviewed in the past have called them forests, which is a little different for us Long Islanders. We use a different term. So when you were living in Bayshore, you were also spending a lot of time in the woods and doing the kinds of things that uh, you were doing when you were living in an East Isla.
2: I was always outside, uh, whether we were playing manhunt in all of our backyards that were very populated with trees. And, you know, there was uh, someone down the block who had a construction site. So mulch and all the dead shrubbery that they would have, uh, we would be in the woods riding bikes, um, you know, jumping off the cliffs uh, or, you know, riding the bikes off the, the cliffs and just always outside and, and involved in some kind of crazy activity that, you know, uh, could have been where it could have been surrounded by ticks.
0: All right. Well, Matt, we know. It wasn't that you could have been. We know that you were surrounded by yeah. ticks. but we're going to get to that in a minute. So one of the things that's really great about growing up on Long Island, besides, uh, I guess, carrying the accents that all of us have, is that it really is a beautiful place where there is just a, you know, a, a great deal of nature. And there are a lot of opportunities for children to have independent playtime in a natural setting. And in fact, it's a place where I was recharged as a child. And quite frankly, even as an adult, I recharge outside in. In a natural setting. Um, is that one of the things that you really enjoyed about growing up in East Isop and Brentwood? And, um, and do you have regrets about that now knowing that you were surrounded by all kinds of danger, including ticks and Lyme disease?
2: Um, it is one of the things I love most about uh, growing up on Long Island, that ability to go out in the woods and, and explore and uh, be out in nature, because that's still true this day. Every chance I can, you know, I love going hiking, um, you know, I was at an apple orchard this week, and it was 300 acres, and I was roaming through the the orchards. And, you know, I just love being out there. I feel connected and at ease. Um, so I don't regret it. You know, there are things that I, I wish I knew back in the 90s when I was young. Um, but, you know, this brought me to where I am today. So no regrets.
0: All right. So Megan, let's talk about what it was like to grow up in East Islip. And so how long did you go to the East Islip school system? And then how long did you go to the Brentwood school system?
2: Sure. Um, I went through um, all of elementary school, first through fifth grade in East Islip. And then uh, sixth through twelfth was uh, in Brentwood.
0: All right. So now- These are two of the best school systems in New York, Uh, the 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 amount of money that each of those communities uh, spends per student or per pupil is be well beyond the national average. In fact, it's some of the some of the um, greatest amount of money spent per student in the world. So you should have gotten a really good education, both at East Islip and at Brownwood. Would you consider the um, the student experience at these two schools to be a positive experience?
2: Positive, for sure. Uh, I absolutely love Brentwood more. I just felt more at home, more comfortable. Um, it was just a place where everybody was welcomed, no matter what your socioeconomic status was. Uh, and it was just uh, a different world for me, Islip. But I think a positive experience at both. I, you know, I still have friends from Brentwood. So it's, it's really nice that I get to have that community still.
0: Right, so you went, you went from a very small school district, to one of the largest in the state, and, um, and you thrived in the larger environment. And of course, there are more opportunities in the larger environment, which is a wonderful thing. Now let's talk to us, let's talk about the science classes and the health classes that you had taken. At least when I was in school, and that is in ancient times, we, you know, we had to walk barefoot to school and all those kinds of things. I know that, I know that you young folks didn't have to do that, but talk <laughs> about you know, the science classes and the uh, health classes that you had taken and, and what you learned in those courses
2: they were the traditional courses, uh, in the sense of science, we learned about, you know, uh, earth science and what's in the core of the earth and then physics and what's the, the velocity of something. And then health classes, we learned more about, you know, uh, sexual and reproductive health than taking care of our bodies in in you know, holistic ways, you know, drink enough water, be active. I know gym in New York state is a requirement, which is grade, because I don't know those of other states, um, but very minimal, you know, education on what self-care should be.
0: So Megan, now, of course, you're now going to school in two suburban communities. Uh, The school districts and the school boards are more aware of uh, where their children are spending time than anyone else. They know their children are spending time in the woods. They know their children are playing sports outdoors. They know all of those things. So I'm assuming because you grew up in this tick endemic community or tick endemic communities that you would have learned about ticks and tick diseases in your health classes, and in your science classes. Did you learn anything about those things so you can keep yourself safe during your time outdoors in East Isop and in Brentwood?
2: Not at all. Not once.
0: Now, Megan, I grew up in Brentwood, and I graduated in 1981, and I often excuse my health teachers and my science teachers for not having taught me anything about ticks and Lyme disease because Lyme disease hadn't been discovered as the bacterial cause of, I'm sorry, uh, Borrelia hadn't been discovered as the bacterial cause until just before I graduated from high school. So I excuse my health teachers and my science teachers for not teaching me about Lyme disease because they didn't know about it. What about you? You're you're a young woman. You didn't graduate until um, almost 30 years after me. Um, Lyme disease is well-established in Brownwood, well-established in East Lyslip. It's a a crisis on Long Island. I'm assuming they would teach you about ticks and tick diseases in your health classes and in your science classes.
2: Uh, I don't excuse them fully. Um, I do think that they were stuck to this traditional curriculum that they were kind of enforced to teach. Um, So maybe not necessarily the teachers, but more so the administrators, um, because they were really the ones that controlled the curriculum. Um, So it's really unfortunate that there wasn't more uh, education on it. And I I do hope that today there is.
0: So you had no tools available to you, at least from the educational system, to, to protect yourself from Lyme disease, right? No one taught you about how to do tick checks. No one told you how to be aware. Nobody told you how to remove a tick. Nobody taught you any of that in the educational system. Uh, that you had graduated from?
2: No, it was actually uh, my mom and grandma, when I'd come home, we'd do a tick check.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that. So let's talk about the, the, the social tools you had from your mom and your grandma. Um, how did they introduce ticks to you and how did they introduce tick checks to you?
2: Um, You know, I don't really know how they knew about ticks. Like I said, we grew up in East Iceland. My grandma, my grandma had a house there. Um, So I guess she knew from just being out in the yard, coming in with ticks herself and, you know, um, the neighbors, they were really just on top of it in the sense of coming in and looking for ticks and, you know, uh, as a kid, I would may go out and I'd come in and sometimes maybe I wouldn't tell them I was outside. So they were really good with it. Um, but I don't think they knew the extent of what Lyme disease could do. Uh, this is back in the 90s. So I, I don't know. In, in comparison today, Lyme disease wasn't as uh, discussed, I guess, uh, or there wasn't as much awareness as there is now, um, but they did know about it. So they were as preventative as possible, I guess. Well, let's talk um, and,
0: about that, Meg. What, were were your were your either your mom or your grandma causing you to do tick checks every single day when you came in every single day, or was it something you did when you were on a hike or when you were out in the woods on a particular day? I mean, how often were you doing these tick checks, and how often were they finding ticks on you?
2: Uh, it was probably every day because I was out in the woods exploring every day with the friends in the neighborhood. Um, you, like I said, you know, it it may have been. I went outside and came in and, and they didn't know I was outside. Um, but to my, to what I remember is that I was always being tick checked every day, every time I was in the woods. Um, so it it, it took, um, you know, it was annoying for me as a kid, you know, come in, you know, arms up, let's see. But, um, you know, I, I appreciate that now.
0: Well, how are they tick checking? Tell me about how your mom or your grandma were tick checking you. What, what were they first doing? Were they looking at you? Were they touching you? How were they doing a tick check?
2: Um, I would basically get naked before the shower and spread my arms out and they'd search my body. But no, no they didn't you know, feel for anything. It was just more of a, a sight thing.
0: So they, they were visually checking you and that was it?
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. How
0: would, they, how would they check your hair?
2: Um, I don't think they did, actually.
0: How about behind your ears?
2: Uh, maybe. I was so young that you know, the the specifics uh, are are lost. But um, it is, I I would assume that they would have checked behind the ears, the hair. I don't think so.
0: Okay, so let's let's talk about um, what tools your family used during these tick checks or tick removal. Were they? they, Did you have any like any? tools around. So so in my house where I grew up, we had this mud room. when you'd walk in the the back door. We were never allowed in the front door, by the way. You'd have to go in the back door. (laughs) And we had what I called a janky tick kit. What we had was a vat of Vaseline, some janky tweezers, some napkins and matches because we were either taking ticks off of us or taking ticks off of our dogs on a pretty regular basis. Did your family have any kind of a, you know, tick kit that they put together?
2: I think it was just kind of the same tweezers that were used to pluck the eyebrows, so no,
0: so you had the janky kit too right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. so do you remember do you remember your mom or your grandma finding ticks on you?
2: Oh, all the time uh i I would say you know maybe once uh once a week, you know, from what I could remember um so I think you know i I was bit by multiple ticks.
0: So let's talk about when you first started to feel um, the symptoms of what you now know to be your tick disease. When, when did you first start to get sick?
2: I believe I was about uh, either almost eight or eight years old. I had a 104 degree fever. And I remember because there was a school play that night that I really wanted to go see. Um, So although I had a fever, I begged and begged and begged to go out and see this play. Um, I felt so awful and uh, the fever ended up going away, I think the next day. Um, and then it kind of started from there. I was having uh, joint and muscle pains, screaming every night, um, having my mom and grandma rub me down with, with uh menthol pain relieving cream.
0: So Megan, talk to us about what kinds of things you were doing in the, both the East Islip and the Brentwood school districts. I mean, there are a lot of opportunities there. So were you pursuing theatrical um, opportunities? Were you pursuing music? Were you pursuing sports? What kinds of things were you doing in these uh, in these schools that were offering you a lot of opportunities?
2: I was big into athletes. Um, in middle school, I played four sports. I played soccer, basketball, volleyball, softball. So I was. All, all year school year long, I was playing a sport after school. Um, and then uh, seventh grade, I started the cello all throughout high school. So I was involved in ath- athletics and music.
0: Okay. And um, what kinds of things were you thinking about doing uh, with all these opportunities you were giving? So you're an athlete, you were a musician, um, you know, what kinds of things were you hoping to do? Were you working towards going to college and what do you want to do when you went to college?
2: My goal was to work, uh, to get a scholarship for softball at UCLA. Um, I think it was more of the colors of the uniform when I was a young girl at that time, but, uh, they were also really good, which was, which was, you know, two for one. Um, so I got to wear that baby blue and yellow and play for a really good school. Um, but I ended up, uh, kind of, Getting an opportunity in when I was in 11th grade to go uh, work for Congress as a congressional page, uh, so I kind of cut athletics short uh, at that point um, because my dad believed that the political arena had more career oriented positions than me going to play softball.
0: So you had, you had all kinds of opportunities, athletic opportunities. You had, you had cultural opportunities, you know, had some political opportunities. So who is the congressperson that you worked for?
2: Congressman Steve Israel.
0: All right. So you're now working for Congressman Israel, you're playing your sports, you're pursuing your, your, uh, your musical um, pursuits. And how are your, um, how are your developing symptoms impacting all these really cool opportunities you had available to you?
2: I would go to, you know, a softball practice, and I'd come home again, you know, I would take aspirin, I would get rubbed down in menthol cream, I was so tired. And for a young teenager, for me to be that tired, uh, was kind of, you know, frustrating. I didn't understand why, like, all my friends were going to go out to eat and hang out, and I'm going home because I'm too tired. And, you know, it's eight o'clock, and I'm showered, and, and I'm ready to go to bed. Um, you know, and it, that's still true to this day. Um, so, and then I, I had, um, a nurse's appointment for, you know, the school does the eye checks and my, my vision, uh, they said, do you have glasses? And I said, no, I've never had glasses. I think my vision's pretty great. Um, and she was like, oh, you need to go see an eye doctor. And I did. How old were
0: you then, Megan?
2: Uh, at that time I was about 15, maybe 16. So uh, I went to the eye doctor and, you know, he said, oh yeah, you, you need glasses. Your vision's not great. Uh, I put the glasses and I was like, wow, my vision wasn't great. (laughs) So uh, my vision started really deteriorating. Um, You know, I had uh, a hard time sometimes finding the right words or, you know, just putting together a sentence. as it seems like I am now, uh, you know, just a combination of all these, all these things that I never kind of attributed to my future diagnos- uh, diagnosis.
0: All right, so let's pause there for a second. So you, you shared with us that you had this experience when you were eight years old that was imprinted on your brain because you had disappointment in that you weren't able to go to a, a play. And now you're talking to us about an experience that you had that you were 15 or 16 where you had to go to the school nurse. Tell us about how many doctors you saw between that experience you had when you were eight years old and now this this experience that you had with the school nurse at 15.
2: I would go to my regular pediatrician. Um, You know, just my my mom and grandma would say, you know, she gets up every night, she's crying, she wants to go to the hospital, these pains in her legs, her arms, her back, um, you know, and he said, they're growing pains. And it's just, it's growing pains. it's growing pains. So after a while, um, they just assumed it was growing pains.
0: Okay. So describe first what these growing pains were like. And, you know, what were, specifically, what were you feeling and where were you feeling it? And um, how were you describing these pains to your doctor?
2: I'm really bad at describing what my pain is like. But the way I say things sometimes is, Uh, the pain was so intense that I wanted to saw my legs off or take my arm off and like leave it on the side until it stopped hurting. Or if I'm having some kind of headache, I feel this liquid like swirling around my brain. And if I could just take uh, a needle, a thick needle and poke my head, this liquid or this pressure, I guess, would release. And I would have, have that sense of relief, um, But they are these intense pains where my legs are sore, they're numb, they're tingling. They feel like they're going to have a Charlie horse. Uh, I stretch them and that feels good. I hit them with my fist and that feels better. But obviously that only lasts for the time I'm hitting them. Um, So I have, you know, uh, that's the best way I can describe them.
0: Now, were you describing these pains to your doctor in that way? Or were your parents or grandparents describing these pains to your doctor that way?
2: Um, I don't think they were describing them in that way. I don't know if I verbally said to them, like, I would say, like, I want to take my legs off, but, uh, and and they would see me hitting my legs. But I don't think, you know, they they went to the full effect of saying when she wants to cut her legs off, you know, she constantly bends, uh, like bangs her legs, She she stretches her legs. Um, and again, you know, it's just, it's
0: growing pains. So now the, the reason I'm asking this question, Megan, is, you know, you're growing up in the heart of the Lyme belt, right? Mm-hmm. You're yeah. living in a tech endemic community. You're exhibiting classic Lyme disease symptoms. And what I'm trying to figure out is whether or not you were giving your doctor or your parents or grandparents or giving your doctor enough detail to accurately diagnose you with the disease that you were so clearly suffering from. Or was it the doctor was just simply incompetent and wasn't reading the information in the way that you would think a doctor should be reading it in a tick endemic community?
2: Uh, I can't say for sure. Uh, I would assume that, you know, being in such a tick infested area and he he was my pediatrician for my whole life uh, with this information, you know, he could have tested for Lyme to rule that out um, because it was prevalent in, in that community, in, in any size slip, you know, as you know, this so doctor I'm was be there, he should have kind of, he should have tested for it.
0: All right. So, but I'm trying to, trying to get a sense of why he wouldn't. Now, do you, do you think your doctor was, was perhaps gaslighting you and not believing you, you know, wh- one of the things that, you know, my children, for example, haven't benefited from the way I did is I had one doctor for, you know, the entirety of my youth, right? Dr. Nadell in Brentwood was my doctor from when I was two years old until I graduated from college, right? So he knew me, right? He knew when I was probably being a little whiny and he knew when I was really giving him, you know, accurate information about my illness. And because he had a context in which to treat me, I think I was generally given good care. So you seem to have had that same kind of consistency of care with a pediatrician who would have known when you were being whiny and know when you were really being, you know, when you were really sick. So having that consistency of care with one one practitioner, I would think, make it less likely that this practitioner would gaslight you. Um, what do you think? Do you think this practitioner was gaslighting you or do you think, you know, he or she was just simply not competent enough to do the job that needed to be done to keep you healthy?
2: I think it's the latter. I think he he was taking the easy way out. He may have not, you know, he's a traditional Western medicine doctor and, you know, they think everything can kind of be solved with medicine. Um, And, you know, he just blamed it on something that was easy to blame it on because kids grow and they have these pains. So I'll just say that.
0: So Megan, you're suffering from all these pains uh, and then you're now seeking care from a nurse now, and and generally we, we define the nursing student relationship as a really important relationship. That's one of the places where children can reach out and get care without their parents screening that care or limiting that care. So that's a really important time in, in, in your life. You now go to the school nurse and you now gain some information about some challenges that you have which then causes you to go see another doctor. Talk to us about that experience and what your thoughts were uh, about going to the nurse and um, and how that was a missed opportunity in your journey.
2: I never really relied on the nurse, I guess, as, as you're saying, I should have. Um, I didn't really open up to her about what was going on. You know, she did the eye exam. I don't know if I ever came back and said, oh, you know, you were right, I did need glasses. And I don't think she necessarily would have attributed it to Lyme, regardless of whether I came in or told her, or or whether, you know, I, in the case that I didn't, um, I don't think that was something that um, that relationship wasn't too strong in the sense of uh, there would be no blame from, from my end.
0: Okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about the doctors that you, you began to see after you had your interaction with the school nurse leading up to the time when you were finally diagnosed with Lyme disease.
2: So it was actually um, I was in college, uh, and I had a roommate who was from Cold Spring, New York, which is a little north uh, of where I currently live, very you know populated like wooded area, um, and her mom and uncle, who grew up in that area, also had Lyme disease. So she had told me, "Oh, for what you're, you're telling me, it seems like you might have Lyme disease like my mom." Um, And I was like, oh, you know, I've I've never, ever thought that could be the case. No one's ever said it could be Lyme disease. Um, So then I went back to now a doctor that I had seen um, in my later years, still based in East Islip, And I had told him, you know, my backstory, I had experienced all this pain. I have a roommate in college whose family has Lyme disease. And she suggested that maybe I do. And so he tested me for Lyme disease and come to find out, I did in fact have Lyme disease.
0: So let's pause there for a second. You know, one one of the things that, uh, you know, that we see consistently on this podcast is that people are diagnosed with the disease by other people who have the disease, who have had contact with disease, who are not medical professionals themselves, Mm -hmm. right? And you're now a classic example. We call that either sister science or bro science, where someone in the, a lay person in the community sees that you clearly have these symptoms, and they say to you, hey, have you been tested for Lyme disease, which then causes you to go back to your doctor and ask your doctor to test you. So tell us about how you feel about a person in the community diagnosing you better than all of these medical professionals that you've been seeking care from for all of those years.
2: I've never actually thought of it as much as you know, you've know. you put light on the subject. Um, I am unbelievably grateful for her and those resources. And um, her, her mom um, was a great resource as well because she had been through it. She'd seen doctor after doctor after doctor. Um, and those, I think those resources, um, that community is more helpful in these, in these journeys than any medical professional that I've encountered.
0: And how does it make you feel now that by sharing your journey the way you have and the way you are right now, you're going to be doing the same thing for someone else? I mean, you're going to be paying it forward because you're being vulnerable and you're being open and you're willing to take a couple of hours of your time and now share this journey with other people right now.
2: I really hope that it does help someone. If it's one person, I, I've i succeeded, um, you know, for for someone to go through this and, and, and go to the professionals and, and not have them diagnose this and then just continue suffering is terrible. So hopefully they find this and, and they understand that, you know, there are other people out there who can help them.
1: So Megan, talk to us about the test that your doctor prescribed you when you went back and said, hey, look, my roommate, her entire family has Lyme disease. Let's test. Was it a standard like LabCorp Quest test or was it like an hygienic
2: specialized test? Um, the first one was a regular lab test. Um, and it confirmed that I did have Lyme and, um, then he put me on some, you know, antibiotic protocols and, um, you know, then, then the Lyme was gone. Uh, and then later years, I did see a Lyme literate doctor, um, which I did have the, the, um, the test.
1: So let's talk about that because you just said the Lyme was gone, right? And this is more of a, I think there's really no right answer to this question. Do you think the Lyme was really gone or do you think that you just addressed enough of it to bring you back to a healthy state and that you still had Lyme in you that came back in your life later on, you know, several years down the road?
2: I never thought the Lyme was gone. Uh, He said the Lyme was gone after the three-week doxycycline treatment. Um, and then said, uh, oh, you're still experiencing these pains. Uh, you probably have uh, to go see a rheumatologist. And I saw a rheumatologist uh, in Bayshore. Um, oh, you have fibromyalgia. And I'm going to draw blood every visit, vials and vials of blood every visit. Um, yeah, you have fibromyalgia. Um, do some stretches. Don't do any crazy exercise. Um, and here's, here's Lyrica. And, you know, that was kind of, uh, I was on Lyrica for, for some time I was, you know, in college and, uh, I was in my junior year of college and I'm taking Lyrica and I know I'm having really crazy thoughts. So, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling right. I'm not feeling myself. I'm, I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do. Um, and I don't really share this with anybody um, except my my one friend, my one best friend uh, and roommate, um, she kind of knew that I was having some some troubles. um, And um, my freshman roommate who actually told me to go get tested for Lyme had no longer went to um, my college. She had transferred schools. So um, I couldn't really talk to her about it. Maybe, you know, finding some comfort in that. um, We kind of lost touch a little bit. Um, But the Lyrica really was was really not fun. I felt worse than uh, I did because I wasn't feeling, none of my symptoms were going away. It wasn't helping them. And then I was just kind of depressed. Uh, It was giving me all the side effects without any of the help.
1: So I want to come back to the Lyrica and how you felt on it and how your doctors responded to you reporting back how you felt. But before we get there, I just want to go back and focus on one part earlier. So you had said that you were treated with oxycycline you had a positive diagnosis, you didn't feel better. And your doctor said to you, well, the Lyme is gone. It must be something rheumatological and sent you to a rheumatologist, correct? Correct. Okay. So at that point, you still felt you had Lyme because you weren't feeling any better. And logically, well, it must not be gone, right?
2: Logically, I, you know, at that time, I believed my doctor.
1: So, and I'm asking that because so many people have gone through a similar experience, including myself right here, where you were, you know, experiencing this on Long Island. I went to a Stony Brook infectious disease doctor and same thing, the 21 days of IV antibiotics felt better, but I felt, you know, that I wasn't really healed. And I was told that it must be something else. The Lyme is gone. I think that's a really important message for people that are at the early parts of their Lyme journey. If they're listening to this episode, that if you just were diagnosed with Lyme disease, you had a short course of antibiotics and you're not feeling better. Don't move away from Lyme disease and other tick-borne illnesses, because other co-infections can be a problem as well that aren't addressed with antibiotics. And I think that's something I wish I knew when I first got sick and probably you wish you sort of knew and fought more for when you first got sick, probably.
2: Absolutely. You know, going undiagnosed for 10 years and then just assuming that Lyme was gone after a three-week treatment, kind of mind-blowing, and then misdiagnosed for, you know, another two years, it's frustrating.
1: So talks about Lyrica. So we know Lyrica is used for fibromyalgia. We know it's used for, for nerve pain. And we know there are a lot of side effects. But you were prescribed Lyrica. And this now is this all through your primary care physician who treated you for Lyme and then bounced you over to the rheumatologist? Or was it the rheumatologist who prescribed you the Lyrica? The
2: rheumatologist uh, prescribed Lyrica.
1: Okay. So you're, you're back in college. You're taking this. You're having all these, these adverse side effects. And you're having no benefit from your pain, which was, sounds like pain was your biggest symptom, right? Yes. So you weren't experiencing any benefits, but you were having all the negative side effects. So did you report back to your rheumatologist that it wasn't working?
2: Um, I did. And then he, I forget, he gave me something else. And uh, then there was, I forget what it was, but uh, I took it for maybe uh, a month. It didn't work. I just stopped and I didn't see him again.
1: So. Did you just give up at that point and not follow up with any other doctors? Or did you decide to go to another doctor or to try to do something else to help your health because you still weren't feeling better?
2: I just kind of gave up. You know, you turn to the medical experts in hopes that they're going to help you and they didn't, they failed me. So I just thought, you know, if I went to all these doctors, I took all this medicine and I don't feel better, uh, or I feel worse when taking the medicine, Why am I going to go and get prescribed something that also, you know, it's not going to make me feel better. I'm just going to suffer through this pain. And and that's what I did.
1: So Megan, was there anything that you were doing that helped you feel better that you just kind of stumbled upon or you from your own research, you found that would help you feel better and get you through this before you realized that you had chronic Lyme disease.
2: Um, I have always been an active person. Um, I've always ate pretty healthy. I always drank a ton, a ton of water. Um, And those things would help me somewhat, but I still had flare-ups all the time. I mean, my roommates knew when I wasn't feeling well, they'd walk in the room and the menthol would whack them in the face. They'd be like, oh, Megan doesn't feel good again. Um, And this was from, you know, my living with my family, they knew. Uh, this was from when I worked for Congress when I was 16. My roommate would enter the hallway, and she'd know. My college roommates would know. Um, it was just everybody, and still to this day, you know, people smell the menthol and and they know what's going on.
1: So let's talk about that menthol. So the menthol, I think, would help sort of relieve your pain because it would it would it's that icy mint, right? And it would relieve the pain. Mm-hmm. So you'd just pretty much lather it wherever the pain was, and it would help a little bit cut back the pain.
2: The only thing that really, really helps a flare up for me is sleep. Um, and I find that, you know, it, it's really difficult to get to sleep when I am in so much pain. Um, and that's really the, the thing that helped with my symptoms more than anything. Um, but, you know, being in college and in balancing um, school, uh, I was working, uh, and friends, uh, it was difficult to, to sleep a solid eight, eight hours. Um, so I did feel that uh, my flare-ups were a lot more uh, frequent. So I decided to talk to my freshman roommate again, um, and her mom, who had, you know, widely, she, she has a bunch of different Lyme doctors that she spoke with, and her mom was really helpful. So I reached out and scheduled an appointment with um, a Lyme literate doctor in Mount Kisco, uh, Dr. Daniel Cameron. Um, and he called me in. I had a pay out of pocket because of course, you know, the government doesn't allow Lyme disease to be covered and um, you know I was willing to, to pay it at this point because now I have some information from someone who's experienced Lyme and, and they found relief. So why why would I not want to go ahead and, and try and experience this relief? So I go to, Dr. Cameron, he does, he tests me. And uh, what do you know, I still have Lyme disease. Um, I get put on some more antibiotic protocols. Um, I went on doxycycline. um, And that was for about uh, another three weeks. And it tore me apart. I felt miserable. Um, You know, I was herxing. I then stopped. I couldn't do it. And about a year later, I went back to him. He gave me the doxycycline again. And I said, you know, after a week, I was like, I can't do this. This is just making it so much worse. So we tried erythromycin. And the erythromycin lasted, you know, about two weeks. And, you know, I'm, I'm eating bread uh, to like help with my stomach. My, my friend's mom, her name is Donna. Donna had told me eat bread. It, you know, when I take medicine, that helps my stomach. Nothing was helping. Uh, so I told Dr. Cameron, you know, I can't take this. I just feel awful. So he put me on amoxicillin for one month. Um, <clears throat> about a week after coming off the amoxicillin for a month, I feel absolutely terrible. I am driving my light sensitivity. I, oncoming cars, um, their lights would shine in my eyes and I would close my eyes because it would create an instant headache. Uh, I, Felt something was wrong with my brain. And I was just really, really nervous. Um, so I called out of work and I went to the hospital and I told them, Something is wrong. My, my brain, something is wrong with my brain. I don't feel okay. Um, wh- what can you guys do? And, you know, oh, okay, like let's sit here, try this. It's, doctors come in and talk to me. And the doctor said, uh, You should see a neurologist. I said, Okay, I'll go see a neurologist. And I went down, um, about 20 minutes south of me to, um, a neurologist who also was an acupuncturist. Um, and she said, you should not have been on amoxicillin for a month. And I said, well, I know in the Lyme community, the protocols are, you know, off the, off the wagon or off the beaten path because they, they study this and, you know, these, spiral bacteria burrow in and we want to bring them out and kill them. So that's why it's on for so long. Um, and she just was not a fan of the amoxicillin for a month. So, um, I tried acupuncture and that, that helped a little bit, but you know, I still, still have flare ups. Um, and I just thought that that would be a little bit more helpful seeing a neurologist and, you know, she, she, was uh, very understanding of the Lyme and and her focus was acupuncture. So there was not much more that she she did for me.
1: All right, so a couple couple takeaways there and a couple of follow-up questions. So the first question is with Dr. Cameron, After you first did the doxycycline for three weeks and you couldn't handle it because your stomach, you said you didn't go back for a year. So did you report back to Dr. Cameron that you were having issues and and he tried something else and and you just didn't want to do it? Or did you just sort of, you know, why was there such a long gap between the doxycycline causing your stomach issues and then the one year return later to go back to seek additional care?
2: Well, the first time um, I took the doxycycline, um, he had said, well, this is what happens when you take doxycycline your stomach's really bad, you're herxing, uh, you just have to stick it out and stick it through. Um, and after I was done with it, um, you know, I just didn't feel any better.
1: So, and and he prescribed you a three week course of doxycycline it was just doxy. Was there anything he wanted to do with you after that? Or are you, are you not sure because you didn't go back at that point?
2: Um, he didn't express anything to me. The first visit I did go, um, you know, about coming back, but, um, I I guess it was more on my part that I didn't end up going back because I didn't feel better. Um, And I just didn't really think I should have to go back and spend all that money and just to get prescribed more um, pharmaceuticals when they didn't help in the past.
1: Now, was there any discussion about things you can do to help alleviate some of those those problems you're having? Like you mentioned that you just, you know, you had stomach issues, things like that. Because when I had to take doxycycline after being reinfected several times over the past few years, I would use CBD oil directly before taking the doxycycline. And I went from being like horribly nauseous and almost vomiting to having zero side effects from the doxycycline. So were there any discussions with Dr. Cameron about things you can do to curb those side effects and get the best benefit possible out of the antibiotics?
2: Uh, not to my recollection. I mean, I, I would have done it, like I said, um, Donna, who has, you know, was a big part in my lime journey. She recommended I try taking thyme oil and oregano oil uh, in capsules and veggie capsules. Um, that was something that really had helped her. Um, she said, eat the bread. Uh, before you take something, don't eat anything acidic. Um, but the doxycycline just really tore me apart. And it was something I couldn't handle.
1: And was it primarily GI distress and nausea? Like what were, what were the main things you were feeling from the doxycycline?
2: Yeah, it was nausea. It was serious, like a serious stomach pain. Um, like I had not eaten and I drank like a bunch of orange juice and I felt like there was a lot of acid burning through my stomach.
1: Were there any discussions about using alternative antibiotic delivery methods? So for example, we've had people tell us that they had similar reactions or their, or their doctors were concerned about their gut health. And as a result, they used injections rather than oral pills to bypass the gut and the GI distress that you would experience from doxycycline. And they responded much better to, you know, shots or injections of, of antibiotics rather than an oral antibiotic. Uh,
2: no, not at all. The second time of the doxycycline, I had told him, well, the first time this is what happened. He said, take a probiotic. Um, and take a good one, one that's you know found in the refrigerator. Um, and I did, and it helped a very, very little. But nothing, nothing dramatic. That you know, I would want to take the doxycycline again. Um, but I did take it for a bit, and like I said, uh, switched to the other eryth- erythromycin.
1: So the reason, Megan, I'm spending so much time talking to you about this is because Rich and I know so many people who are horribly sick with Lyme disease. They go to these Lyme literate doctors, they get prescribed a protocol with a ton of antibiotics, not just one, their bodies can't handle them, they get so sick. And they say, you know what, I give up, I'm not doing this. And they never treat and they never get better. So I'm trying to identify a way that we can approach this where the patient actually will continue treatment, or has these hacks, as we call them to be able to treat and get better. And it sounds like in your case, for the first year, at least you kind of didn't treat because you didn't have a solution to some of these side effects that you were getting you just, and you just put it off and said, I'm not doing this anymore.
2: Yeah, that, that is exactly what happened. Um, and, you know, I was told to kind of just suffer through it because, uh, you know, I know these bacterias and uh, they're powerful and we got to bring them out and then we kill them.
1: And and again, I'm not, and look, we love Dr. Cameron. We're having him on the podcast in two months. And, you know, we really love the work that he does and we think he's brilliant. But I'm just curious, did he ever offer? So you so you went back a year later because you weren't getting better and you weren't treating. And then he gave you the, the azithromycin and the amoxicillin, which made you more sick, which led you to the the ER and to the neurologist. Was there anything he ever said to you at that point? Like, hey, look, you must be super sensitive. Let's try something else. Was there, were there any alternatives provided by Dr. Cameron that you could have used because you were reacting so poorly to the other antibiotics he prescribed?
2: Um, Not to my recollection. And, you know, Dr. Cameron was um, someone that believed me. So that in itself says a lot. But the pharmaceuticals was not, they were not settling right with me. Um, So just one after another after another, uh, and then not working, I didn't end up going back after the amoxicillin
1: you mentioned that you were working at this point, right? So how old are you when, when this was going on about?
2: Um I was 23,
1: 24. And to put this in perspective, you were sick when you were eight and you got diagnosed at 18. Mm-hmm. You then did not receive proper treatment. And t- several years later, now you're 23, 24, now you're at Dr. Cameron, correct? Correct. Okay. So now you're with Dr. Cameron, and um and what kind of work are you doing? And 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 what level of stress was there that you think could have been contributing to the decline of your health?
2: Um, I was working at a law firm in the city, um, working on estates, establishing estates and, and releasing money to uh, the families. Um, and originally, my case load was uh, about 100, 120 cases, give or take. Um, and by my the time I left that company, I had 350 cases. Um, and it was basically me on the phone getting yelled at by clients because their paperwork wasn't drawn up. And, you know, that initially what was 100 cases, um, you know, those phone calls were kind of few and far between where I'd get screened at. Um, and then, you know, up to 350 cases uh, was way too much to handle. Uh, and, you know, it was just a stressful and kind of sad situation.
1: So we, we often see this sort of cyclical pattern here with, with jobs and stress and chronic Lyme disease. Do you think that the Lyme was making you weaker so you weren't performing as well at your job? And then the additional stress and the additional caseload you were taking on and, and being yelled at all the time was making your body weaker so you were getting sicker, which then had this, this cyclical effect of, again, making you less you know, perform even less at your job. Did you find that pattern occurring throughout the year from when you first started Dr. Cameron and then you went back to Dr. Cameron and then the neurologist?
2: Um, I I definitely do think that the Lyme made it difficult when I'm staring at the computer for eight, nine hours a day, you know, my eyes are hurting, I'm getting a headache. Um, And and that's just in general. So it was more intense. And I was sitting all day. Um, You know, I'm I'm stressed because uh, I'm getting yelled at by people who are just hurting. um, And that's not my fault. So um, I, I do think the stresses of work did help or did make
1: me a little bit more sick. So all in all, how long were you on the amoxicillin for? I think that was the one you were on the longest. I think, I think you said about a month you were on the amoxicillin for before you went to the ER and then ended up with the neurologist who was doing uh, other work with you, correct?
2: Yes. Uh, a one month, um, treatment of the amoxicillin.
1: And again, even though you were responding poorly from a side effect standpoint, you still weren't feeling better with your core symptoms of Lyme.
2: No, not at all.
1: So now with this neurologist and you're just focusing on acupuncture, was that giving you relief? And if so, was it just temporary? Or do you feel that that was more of a long-term um, treatment versus just a, or a band-aid as I call it, or some people like to call it a bridge treatment?
2: Um, yeah, I do think it was more of a band-aid. It was helping in that moment and maybe, you know, that next day, but you know, when it's really bad uh, it wouldn't help. Um, you know, I'd go in and I'd have a a really bad day and it it just wouldn't do what I thought it was going to do for me.
1: So at any point did you ever explore or did anybody ever bring up to you the possibility of using alternative medicine, like herbs and tinctures, to treat since you had such a negative response to traditional Western antibiotics?
2: Um, well, like I said earlier, um, my friend's mom, Donna, she recommended the thyme and oregano essential oils uh, in the capsule. Um, that, that didn't help as much. But when uh, I have a good friend who lives in California, uh, I went out there to visit her. And in 2016, um, you know, she was very well aware of my Lyme disease. She worked for Congress with me and she lived on my hall, she would smell the mental pain. So she knew the pain I suffered. Um, We were in California and we saw, you know, CBD relieves pain. Um, And she was like, why don't you give that a try? And I tried CBD and uh, I was having a flare up and it helped relieve my flare ups and my symptoms.
1: So let's talk about CBD for a minute because I have people that are quote unquote healthy that I work with that, and again, to put it very blunt, have Mm -hmm. Experimented with marijuana when they were younger, and still experiment with marijuana, but they will not try CBD because they think it's a drug. And I'm like, and my my response is, and I'm gonna be very blunt on this podcast. You smoked weed from people that you don't know that could have been had all kinds of other stuff in it, but you won't try pure CBD that has no THC in it, an isolated CBD that has no THC in it. I'm like, it makes no sense. I'm like, just just Google it. You'll and, and I cannot get certain people to try CBD. So, just for our audience, talk to us about what is CBD and sure. is it a drug, and are you gonna get high from it?
2: So CBD is a cannabinoid found in the uh, cannabis family. Um, Hemp plants have higher levels of of CBD than marijuana plants. Um, And so the federal law is uh, CBD cannot be sold if it has 0.3% or more. So legal CBD has 0.3% THC or less. Um, Even with the 0.3% THC, you will not get high. You will not get high off pure CBD, um, it is uh, not. Um, it depends on what CBD you get because you have to find quality CBD, uh, which I can I can get into later when we talk more about that if you want. But um, uh, I sell broad spectrum CBD, which has all the cannabinoids uh, without the THC, so it has a, a more full effect uh, without any chance of of THC in case someone gets drug tested. And they can't have that show up on their test. Whereas isolate uh, CBD isolate doesn't have um, anything but CBD. Um, And and so I think um, for those who are interested in trying or are curious about CBD, I think broad spectrum is a great way to go because uh, there's that THC factor isn't there.
1: So Megan, talk to us, and we're going to come back to this, but just while we're on this topic, talk to us about the difference between. You mentioned CBD isolate has 0% THC and mm-hmm. it's pure CBD and it doesn't have any other uh, things in it, but what's the difference between broad spectrum and full spectrum CBD? Cause we hear those terms thrown out a lot, isolate, broad spectrum and full spectrum.
2: Yeah. So, um, full spectrum means it has all of the plant compounds. So CBD, THC, CBD, CBN, um, and a host of other terpenes. Um, which are also really good for you, Um, like pinene from the pine, uh, like you find that smell in in the pine cones and and their effects in things like pine trees. Um, So the full spectrum has all of that. The broad spectrum CBD has all of that also, minus the THC, which is the aspect of the marijuana plant that gets you high. Um, but even like I said earlier with 0.3% or less, you're not going to get high. Um, and then, uh, like you said, the CBD isolate is pure CBD. There is no other cannabinoid, uh, in, in the plant or in the, in the product.
1: So Megan, again, I I, I hate to keep harping on this topic, but I think it's very important for people to understand this, to have a level of peace to try CBD, because I can tell you rich and i and rich is healthy and thank god doesn't have a tick-borne illness but for both of us cbd in in general has been very important in in our lives and helping us sleep better and have a better quality of life so you mentioned the word terpenes or terpines and i'm probably saying it the wrong way i've heard it from a lot of other people there's some multi-level marketing products out there that that are that exist and they try to sell these these terpines for like crazy amounts of money but what are terp terpines or is it terpenes terpines how do i say it?
2: um i Turpines.
1: Turpines. So what are, what are they, what are terpenes, and, and what value or benefit do they give you when you take them when taking CBD?
2: So they are the, uh, the aromatic, the, the, the part of the compound that smells and it's found in, in many plants. Um, but people most often associate them with the cannabis plant because it does contain, um, high concentrations of these, these terpenes. Um, so they, um, they, they, they create these or or they um, extract these to create flavors and scents um, for like things like body uh, products perfume and even and some foods um, but while they are plants they cause uh, even in plants they have them to repel things like predators um, and they play a, so they play that protective role um, but people use them uh, in the form of compounds to you um, enhance the effects of them. Um, So basically they're similar to essential oils uh, and they're an integral part of uh, many alternative therapies such as like aromatherapy. Um, So inhaling them can affect someone's mood or their stress levels.
1: Thank you. So I have a few more questions that I'm gonna come back to about CBD and terpenes and and CBN and all that fun stuff. But uh, so I wanna find out how, how it helped you in your journey. So you mentioned you were in California with a friend and you just said, Hey, I'll give it a try. And it was super powerful. So it sounds like nothing before you trying CBD in California helped you the way CBD did. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, that's correct. I had such a a sense of relief from trying CBD um, that it, it sparked me to try and find a, a quality product uh, that worked for me, and um, you know that was one of the reasons why um, I ended up forming my CBD company because I wanted that high quality product with um, you know where you knew where it was coming from, you knew what was in it um, because you can go to the gas station nowadays and you can find c b d and that's cBd you want to steer clear from
1: so. Then- did you research at this point why you were feeling better? And and also, I just have to say, I feel like you got lucky when you bought this and that it helped you because I have friends that have bought CBD at the gas station or the smoke shop, and like it didn't do anything for me. And I'm like, did you look at the quality of, of the product and, and then they, they dismiss it because they felt like they tried and it didn't work? So I think like you were lucky to have tried tried one that was a quality brand that helped you and then brought you down this exploration of what is CBD, how can it help me, and then to build your own business around it. So once you had this positive benefit what kind of research did you do to realize like what benefits there were that were actually helping you with your pain?
2: So, yeah, I was very lucky. Um, my friend who I visited in California, she was the manager of a medical marijuana clinic out in California. So she did know the the benefits that cannabis could have for a variety of, of different ailments and, and diseases. Um, so with me going to California, um, the, marijuana industry was a lot more prevalent and openly discussed. Um, whereas, you know, in, in, places where there were, wasn't medical marijuana yet, um, it was kind of taboo. You didn't want to talk about it. Um, so we had gone into a, uh, a medical marijuana clinic and that's where I found it. Um, so it wasn't a gas station. So, you know, these clinics, they've done their research. They know the that they're getting good products and, um, you know, a gas station brand is just trying to steal your money.
1: So let's talk more about your, your healing journey before we circle back to the, all the fun details of, of CBD and, and really geek out over that some more. So you you now are having this benefit. You're, you're having this epiphany of CBD is really powerful in helping me feel better. But now this may be a hard question to answer. Do you feel that CBD, again, was a Band-Aid or, or an aid that was a temporary relief? Or do you think it was actually helping you in the long run, heal by reducing inflammation and putting your body in a position where it can actually start to recover and heal from all the damage you had from chronic Lyme and co-infections?
2: I I do think it's a long lasting uh, product that helps me um, reduce inflammation, which reduces flare ups, which uh, it helps provide me clarity. It helps provide me a sense of calm. Um, So I think that it's, you know, through my research, Our bodies produce endocannabinoids, uh, which are uh, cannabinoids, and CBD is a cannabinoid that are produced in the body. So our body already produces our own cannabinoids. Um, CBD is a photocannabinoid, uh, and it's a cannabinoid that comes from a plant. So essentially, we have this system in our body called the endocannabinoid system, which is found in our skin, our digestive systems, our central nervous system, and cannabinoids attached to the CB1 and the CB2 receptors within the endocannabinoid system, the ESC. Uh, So essentially what CBD is helping my body do is obtaining um, homeostasis, which is a balance. And that's where um, our body's uh, functioning. It's our body's optimal functioning level. Um, So, you know, kind of pharmaceuticals. I I saw a video one time that really put it in perspective. you know, our bodies, when they're like a, like a baby mobile, you know, that hangs out over the crib. So our body, if something's in a line, you know, the right side will, or the right side will go up uh, and the doctor gives you a pharmaceutical and it lays right on top of that, but it's still unbalanced because you're just covering up that ailment, uh, where CBD comes in and regulates hormones, uh, and it balances, it brings that back to the balance. Um, so through my research, I found that um my body is balanced um you know the um the, the cbd has studies have shown that cbd has antibacterial effects uh, anti-inflammatory effects um analgesic effects so there's so many things that this plant um can do for you um and and through my research uh, i think it is going to be it is the best uh form of of um relieving my symptoms that I have found and I think that work best for me and will work best for me continuously.
1: I just wanna make sure I understand what you just described. So for example, we'll focus on your symptoms, which were chronic pain was one of the worst. So if you were given, let's say a um, pain medication, what that would do is just basically, the pain would still be there and the root cause would still be there, but it would basically numb your senses to identifying the pain so you wouldn't have those pain sensations. But what CBD does is it goes deeper And it it addresses the inflammation and the root cause and allows your inflammation to go down, which then in turn causes your, your, your pain to decrease as well. So it's more of a, a deeper, a deeper way of addressing the symptom rather than masking the symptom. Is that what you're, is is that how you're trying to explain this? Am I understanding this correctly?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly it. You know, it masks the pain, the, the pharmaceuticals mask the pain for, you know, that eight hour span of time. Uh, And, but that, that root cause is still there. Um, For me personally, I think CBD, um, when taken consistently, and that's another thing we can talk about later, um, it really has, it really does uh, provide my body a balance and and makes my body function the way it should function.
1: So before we, before we finish this CBD discussion, I just want to ask, so this, we talked about you were 23, 24 today, we know you're, you're, you know, just, just hit hit your 30s. Was there anything else you've done since you know twenty four when you were going to this neurologist and you were doing acupuncture and then you thank God you found CBD oil and all CBD products in general? Was there anything else you did that's noteworthy to get you to where you are today? Because clearly you made a, a miraculous recovery from how sick you were. Is there anything else that you want to speak about that you did that helped you get to where you are today? Before we could continue on with CBD.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just being aware of having Lyme disease and and doing my own research. Um, I focused a lot more on. The foods I eat, um, reducing sugar. Uh, uh, back in in high school, I would eat I think two candy bars a day. <laughs> um, I loved loved chocolate, but you know now I focus on getting um, you know really high percentage cacao uh, when I want to have some chocolate. Um, I focus on getting eight to nine hours of sleep. I have um, my friends are really awesome. They got me a sauna for my uh, for Christmas gift. So I have a sauna in my basement. Um, I do weightlifting because, uh, the cardio is, um, very little because it's too stressful on my body. Um, but I noticed that, um, I could be having a flare up and I'll try and go through a workout and I'll feel better after that. For some reason, I guess, you know, my muscles are getting stretched. My body's getting sweaty. Uh, it's kind of feeling a little bit more relaxed. Um, So just kind of an overall healthy lifestyle, watching what I eat, watching how I sleep, making sure I get enough sleep, um, drinking a ton, a ton of water. Um, You know, those have all been things along with the CBD that have really helped me feel better. Um, You know, it's sad that Pharmaceuticals are shoved down our throats uh, and our our poor diets are also really, really, really bad because the sugar and the carbs, you know, the Lyme bacteria is going to feed off those. uh, So you don't want to fuel the bacteria. You want to really focus on uh, eating right. Um, And I worked with a um, I used to weightlift with him a few years ago, um, but now he has this anti-aging program where he works specifically with you and, um, a more alternative doctor, uh, they kind of come up with a plan for you, uh, focusing on your nutrition, your sleep, uh, and then exercise is obviously one of the last things uh, and supplements as well. And then exercise is kind of their last thing in their pillars. Um, but he also does take CBD, um, and he takes my CBD. Um, so they, they work together to help their patients heal in more holistic ways um, and focus on what your body needs. Um, so he's been really instrumental in helping me stay focused on what um what I should consume and how I should live my life.
1: So you you literally change your lifestyle in all aspects to be a healthier individual, even if you weren't sick with Lyme disease, that would have had a positive impact on your health. But because of that, coupled with CBD and all the things you're doing, you've been able to really get into this place where now you've been able to overcome Lyme disease.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I, you know, I'm happy for the people that I've had on the journey from my freshman roommate and her mom, Donna, uh, to, you know, all my family and friends just, you know, giving me a massage when I needed one, my friends for buying me the sauna, uh, my trainer for just kind of, you know, pushing me in the right direction, but not pushing me too far. Um, So they've all been really instrumental.
1: Let's talk about that, Megan, because I know you said you were very into you know, being athletic when you were in school, and that's something I, you know, I can relate to you with. Well, I, was, I was an avid runner before I got sick with Lyme disease, and, and I still struggle to this day with balancing even the little bit of exercise I can do, right? Mm-hmm. So where are you today with your exercise regimen, and, and, and how do you feel that that's playing in, in your healing journey? Meaning, can you do what you did before you got sick? And if not, what role do you think that, that the little exercise you are doing is playing in your healing journey?
2: Oh, well, I hope coach Pete doesn't listen to this because I haven't been doing as many workouts as I normally do, but no, he is very understanding of, you know, listen to your body. If you're not feeling up to it, don't do it. So, um, I, I do try to work out three times, four times. I love four times a week. Those are my good weeks. But, um, with the fall moving in, uh, I just feel, you know, I get a, a little bit more, um, on edge achy tired um and so it does drastically uh my workouts drastically reduce then. um but i would say on average i get about three to four workouts in a day and um there are days where i say okay i'm gonna work out today and then all of a sudden oh no you're not working out today you're gonna just drink some water you're gonna sit on the couch and you're gonna give your body the rest it needs
1: And what do those workouts look like for you? So you mentioned that you do some weightlifting, do you do cardio? Do you do do weightlifting? Are there things that you try to avoid because of Lyme disease? And and I'm asking this because I want to try to give people some tips that are listening that are at the later part of their journey but still struggling to reintroduce exercise. So what have you found is is acceptable for you, or or something that's not making you feel worse? And what are the things that you kind of stay away from that make maybe make you flare with your current state?
2: Yeah, from I've I worked with um, a, another local trainer, too, and, and she also um, talks about weightlifting a lot because, like I said earlier, the cardio is too hard on my body. Um, it creates more inflammation, uh, which triggers, you know, it's not great for my autoimmune disease. Um, so I do focus on more strength and weightlifting Um, because that's not as hard on the body. Um, I luckily do have a pool that I can use in the summertime. And so the swimming is really great because it doesn't put any, or I shouldn't say any, it it doesn't put as much stress on the body. So something that works for me is, like I said, listening to my body, can I put more stress on it? Um, You know, you should never really push your body to uh, anywhere past, I think they say 45 minutes of intense, workouts or or lifting because then you're stressing your body out too much. Um, so I I typically get a heavy lifting, uh, workout in, uh, for about 45 minutes and that's, uh, you know, a, a bench press, a deadlift, a squat, uh, some curls with, uh, or some rows with, you know, 25 pounds. Um, you know, obviously like I have been, doing some weightlifting for the past few years. So I do lift a little heavier, but like I said, you gotta, you gotta listen to your body, whatever you can do, start slow, uh, and, and just kind of work your way up, um, to do what you can, you know, if you said you're into, uh, cardio mat and, um, you know, that's just something that doesn't work well for me. Cause I do feel like my body gets very, very stressed out from that. And it's something that I do minimally. Luckily I, I don't like
1: running <laughs> Yeah and, and I can very much relate to that especially with the autoimmune parts that you described as well where um, for me, Megan and I've shared this on on past podcast episodes is I get I do rebounding which is very low impact, but it allows me at least really to get my heart going and get that mm-hmm. feeling you know a, a little version of that feeling I used to get from running just doing a few hundred jumps on the, on the rebounder, which also helps with my lymphatic system, gives me that, that, you know, the happy chemicals in the brain helps me get everything moving, helps me at least get my joints and everything moving around. And that's been a nice introduction for me back into a little bit of movement. So that's, that's kind of what I found to work best for me so far, but I do want to finish out the CBD discussion before I hand you back over to Rich. So I have a couple of follow-up questions on that. So with CBD specifically, and I think, you know, we kind of know the answer because we take it, but a lot of people always say, well, I'm worried about the side effects. I can't take CBD oil at work. I have to work. I can't, you know, I can't do that. I, I'm not going to be myself. I, I have to be able to think. I have to be on my game. And I'm like, oh, yes, just no, just no. You know? so talk <laughs> about, Are there side effects uh, for taking CBD oil? And if so, are they as extreme as people even think they, they might be?
2: Personally, for me, um, this, I have had no side effects. But from my research, uh, side effects include dry mouth, um, fatigue, uh, but uh, or, or drowsiness. Um, I have someone call me and say, oh, I took your CBD in the morning and I was really, really tired. Um, and I said, okay, well, well, you know, your body best. You take, you should take it at night. Uh, I've also had someone call me and say, I took your CBD. I feel so energetic this morning. I went out and bought donuts for my office. I feel so good. Um, So it all, it all, it does vary person to person, your dose is very individualized, you know, what may work for me may not work for someone else. Um, So I think that, um, you know, you really have to find a quality product um, that you take consistently, um, and that you have someone where you can speak with them directly about their, like, maybe they can help guide you uh, where to start on your dosing uh, they can help you figure out which product might be best for you. Um, you know, some people don't like the taste of the oils, uh, drop it in your tea, drop it in your coffee. I mean, I've even put it on my tacos. Um, you know, so it, it just, um, really is all about quality, consistency, and knowing your body.
1: So I have to share that, you know, two anecdotal stories here. So my mother was going through breast cancer and she was going through chemo and a lot, in a lot of pain. And I, again, she's one of the people who I just had hard time even getting to try CBD oil and finally she was in so much pain she goes fine put some in my tea and she couldn't believe the pain reduction she had from just a few drops of f- CBD oil in her tea that she had that morning so it is really powerful from a pain standpoint and from a Lyme standpoint and and a really fun story is when Rich first took CBD oil we were in his office this is pre-COVID so we were together finished podcasting and I had a really peer pressure him into taking it and he's, he's for those that can't see the video which no only you can Megan he's, he's laughing right now So he took it out. We're in the back of his his law firm. his parking lot. And he takes it and he stops and he looks at me and he goes, I feel like my skin is crawling. And it was the most, you know, again, it happened once. And then he goes, I felt amazing afterwards. And now Rich takes it literally every single day. He has better sleep. His mood is better. So even if you have, you know, give it a shot and don't, don't take it once and then just say, I'm done. I had a weird reaction. I felt a little drowsy you know, give it a couple of days, give it a few weeks to try to see how it works is is my recommendation. So the other follow-up I wanted to ask you though, Megan is, is hormone regulation, right? Because so many people in the chronic Lyme community have hormone imbalances. I mean, I know I had that. I know a lot of us do, and I actually take some herbal supplements to help with that and CBD oil. Does CBD help at all regulate hormone, you know, hormones and and balance out all of the, the, you know, our haywired nervous system that we get from chronic Lyme disease?
2: Yeah, so um, studies have shown that CBE can help reduce hormones like uh, cortisol, which is the stress hormone. So um, that alone uh, says a lot, because if it can help reduce your stress level, um, you know, stress is a a big cause of of many different things, you know, Um, it can help uh, estrogen for women, um, and it can help ease your you now I have to be careful what I say because, you know, there are certain things that um, the, the FDA doesn't allow you to say, I can't make any kind of health claims. Um, but I have had people come tell me that um, it, it does help them with their anxiety. Um, and that's been, you know, really, I have someone I know that has really, really bad anxiety. Um, and she started taking CBD every day and she is such a different person now um, she is just happy and she doesn't have these constant racing thoughts. Uh, so it balances so many different hormones in the sense of uh, or, or regulating the hormones. Um, so you can, you know, you have this kind of energetic uh, boost of, or, or, you know, you're energetic, you're, you're it's a mood booster. Um, it's even great for your skin. Um, you know, so there's so many benefits of it. And uh, one of the reasons uh, I thought to have a broad spectrum product, as we talked about earlier, all the all the cannabinoids, but without the THC, is because of the people that are curious to try it, but they still have that marijuana stigma associated with it, and they're scared to try it. So I thought it was a great way to get them uh, to give CBD a try, but also for people like um, firefighters and cops, those who can't have THC show up on their drug test because their job depends on it. Um, so they didn't have an outlet either. So that's why I went with the broad spectrum product.
1: So Megan, I also want to ask about consistency. Cause I know a lot of people that take CBD oil when they need to. So for example, I'm having a bad flare day. I'm going to take CBD oil and it helps, but I, I have come to learn that if you have it build up in your body over time. Mm-hmm. that it's actually going to help you more than being reactive versus proactive with CBD. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that it's beneficial for people to take it regularly? Or is it, is it okay if people just want to take it as needed when they have a bad pain day or flare day or bad anxiety or mental health day?
2: Personally, I believe consistency is key. Um, you know, I did a little self-experiment of, of not taking it for about a week. Uh, And I had so many more flare ups, I felt so much worse. Uh, And then I started taking it consistently. And I had, you know, I still do have the pains and, um, you know, flare ups, but much, much less frequent. Um, So I do think consistency is key. An analogy that is common that I don't love to use because I don't agree with Western medicine, um, like I used to, is CBD is kind of like an antibiotic, where the doctor says, oh, okay, you have uh, strep, you have to take this for seven to 10 days don't stop it short even if you're feeling better because you know that now i know why i shouldn't have stopped it at day five because consistency it gets in your body like you said it builds up um, and it and it maintains that um, that that cannabinoid level
1: so let's talk about the the broad spectrum component right so you mentioned that it has all the cannabinoids but not the thc and cannabinoids, from what I understand, are things like CBD, CBG, CBN, etc. I think there's five of them, probably. Right? Is that is that correct? Is
2: there there are uh, over a hundred.
1: Wow. Okay. So I know I know there's things out in the market, like for example, CBN, which is sold to help people with with sleep. There are things like CBG that help people with inflammation and allergies. So mm-hmm. they have targeted CBD-based products that have an abundance of one particular cannabinoid to help with a specific set of symptoms so what are your thoughts on on targeting you know treatment based on your symptoms or your your illness versus a a broad spectrum approach like you're taking where it's got everything in it and it's going to help you you know across the board like sort of like a broad spectrum antibiotic versus a targeted therapy so what are your thoughts on that
2: i love that they're trying it you know we'll we'll slowly drag them into trying the whole thing Um, i think it can be helpful but i think the the full effect or well i guess it's, it's referred to as the entourage effect. Um, it's when the cannabis compounds, um, they act together, they act synergistically um, for a, a stronger overall effect. Um, so for instance, I have um, two products, they're soft gels. Um, one is CBD and curcumin, which is like turmeric. So it's great for inflammation. So is CBD, so them coming together Uh, It makes it more powerful, it's stronger, and it can provide more relief. Uh, And then the other one is a CBD and melatonin soft gel. So CBD helping you unwind and relax and and, and be at ease uh, along with the melatonin, um, which is a natural sleep aid, will really help you get to sleep and stay asleep and set a sleep schedule uh, when you need to. Um, So I think those, those individual cannabinoids, they're great. Um, but I think the full, I keep saying the full, the full entourage effect is the THC as well. But the entourage effect of broad spectrum C B D um is going to be better than uh just kind of the pure cannabinoid on on its own.
1: Not to put you too too on the spot here with this this very direct question, but if somebody's struggling with chronic pain and people are marketing high CBN or CBN isolate as being the best solution for chronic pain because that's known to have more you know pain-related properties. It sounds like you're arguing you need the broad spectrum which is basically everything minus the thc because of the entourage effect and that's going to actually help you feel help you more than just targeted cbn because you're getting the benefits of all these things working together compared to just one specific piece of or one specific cannabinoid is that what you're is that what you're telling us megan
2: yeah um you know like i've said this whole podcast uh you got to listen to your body and what works for you may not work for someone else but you are going to get that CBN or that CBG in a broad spectrum product in addition to the CBD, which also does have uh, pain relieving effects and anti-inflammatory effects.
1: So I just want to understand this better because I keep hearing these words around all throughout the Lyme community. And I want to make sure we have a good understanding of what these things are. So is a terpene a subset of a cannabinoid or are they different altogether?
2: Um, They are different altogether. Um, because like I said, uh, they're, they're compounds found in, in plants. Um, so, uh, cannabinoids are found in the cannabis family, but terpenes are commonly associated with the cannabis plant because the cannabis plant has high concentrations of them.
1: And now are there terpenes in CBD, in your CBD oil products?
2: Um, yes, there are.
1: Okay. So, and they're, and they, and they're more, they also are, multi multipurpose. They're used for things like, like, like candles and scented products and, and, you know, personal care products as well. So they're all part of CBD oil, but they're, they're from a different part of the plant essentially.
2: It could be from, uh, different plants in general. Um, like, I I never know how to say the the last word beta caraphalein. I think that's how you pronounce the last one, but that's uh, one of the terpenes in, in our products. Um, and it has, um, anti-inflammatory, antimicrobial, uh, antioxidant properties, even antibacterial properties.
1: So do some products have cannabinoids from the, I, I guess it's the hemp plant, correct? Uh,
2: well, both marijuana and the hemp plants are part of the cannabis family. So they do have, um, they, you could get it from either, either, either
1: plant. And now, so, so, and terpenes can come from different plants altogether. So in your product, are, are, are the terpenes coming from a different plant? Like, you know, wh- where, what's the source of all the ingredients in your product? Are you pulling terpenes from the hemp or the marijuana plant in addition to the cannabinoids? Or are you pulling them from another plant?
2: Um, I worked with uh, a distributor in uh, Colorado who really, who does have a proprietary um, formula for these. So uh, I can't say too much. Uh, I don't want to, you know, get in trouble. Um, but they handle it uh, from seed to extraction. The extraction process is a CO2 um, extraction process, which uh, is, is a very intricate process um, and something that, you um, I would eventually love to handle myself one day. I just think it is very scientific. It is very expensive. People research this, people are experts in this. Um, So I work with them to formulate the product Um, and and they have have those capabilities.
1: So I guess the reason I'm asking these questions is, is the process to make CBD oil. It's it's more complicated than somebody would think because you're extracting the cannabinoids in a high concentration, then you're also extracting terpenes in a high concentration, and then you're putting it all together into a product to sell people to help them with with various health conditions. So is that is that accurate? It's not as simple as people may think to to create these CBD based products from a, from a high quality standpoint.
2: From a high quality standpoint, absolutely. Um, you know, you can in order to create products, you have to. Grow the products, and they have to be controlled um, because if you're growing it out in the outdoors, you don't know what kind of bugs are getting on the plants. You know, you know, you just um, really have to be careful of of the the nutrients you give the plants. You can't give them too much. You know, you have to balance the 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 levels of that. Um, So, for someone to do it at home, um, you know, is it can be done. Uh, It is very um, very scientific and specific. So, I think working with the experts in this um, through this, their uh, CO2 extraction, supercritical carbon dioxide process, um, is the best option because it is so intricate. It's, it's very, very detailed. Like I said, everything from this, the growing of it to the, the extraction uh, to creating the products, it's very, very intricate.
1: All right. So, my final question before I hand you back over to Rich is give us an idea of where your health is at now, after learning everything you've learned about CBD products and helping yourself in that regard and now doing that whole lifestyle change you talked about from exercise to diet to sleep, right? To all these different things, plus the antibiotics you were on with Dr. Cameron. What are you doing today that you never dreamt you can do when you were at your worst?
2: Uh, own a business. Um, Ergo Hemco, uh, our, our mission is uh, better health and wellness for all, um, because I got to where I am through, you know, my community and, and research. Um, and I want to be able to, um, share that with others, uh, whether they experience Lyme disease or they're, they're healthy, CBD can still benefit you. So, um, yeah, like I said, our mission is better health and wellness for all, uh, but also, um, we wanna educate consumers about the benefits of cannabis and um, high quality CBD products. Because like you said, people are still scared of it. They're scared they're gonna get high. They don't know what they're taking. So um, that, that is really something I'm proud of. I love what I do. And I love when I hear stories um, of how CBD has helped somebody. Um, whether they use my products, whether I'm just in conversation with someone that I, I meet along, you know, the street or at an event. Um, I somehow CBD gets brought up and they tell me a story and, and it's almost always positive. I don't think I've ever had a negative story about CBD. I mean, I think the donut story, she may have hit her wallet a little bit, but that's not my fault. <laughs> um so-
0: So Megan, let's talk about that. Let's talk about how you got there because it was, it's kind of an interesting and maybe a circuitous route that I wouldn't expect you to have taken. Right. So you're a kid that grows up on long Island. Um, You uh, you do a um, do a, um, a congressional aid ship program with a democratic um, Congressman Uh, you go off to uh, college and get a degree in political science um, and then you get a master's degree in strategic communications and then go off to work at a law firm, right? So you have this very interesting path. And then you then you discover something that helped you on your Lyme disease journey, and it becomes your passion. But you don't go to not-for-profit route, which is what I'd expect from a liberal Democrat like you. You actually go the for-profit route. So talk to me about how you decided that you would go the how you would go the uh, entrepreneurial route rather than rather than a not-for-profit route and why you think that's the best way that you can use your superpowers and your experience to help people in the Lyme disease community?
2: So uh, when I worked for Congress, you know it, I've never had an interest in politics before that uh, and then obviously that set me off. I wanted to run political campaigns um, and then I thought, you know, maybe law school, but uh, then I, I didn't really like necessarily, uh, you know, I wanted to be the lawyer in the court, um, but that's not what it ended up being. You know, you're behind a desk, you're researching, you're studying, you're doing all that constantly, um, more so than being in the courtroom. Uh, So I went and got my master's in strategic communication thinking that would help me in building political campaigns. Um, In 2016, my, my father passed away um, and Thank you. Um, And he lived his life. He was a uh, big NASCAR fan, like diehard NASCAR fan. We'd go to the races uh, twice a year in Daytona. Um, He was an iron worker. He loved his job. He loved his job because he worked with his friends. Um, And I saw how he lived his life. And I knew that if I got involved in politics, from you know, just being involved in it and hearing stories and, and getting to work for Congress, I wouldn't necessarily have a life outside of that that I wanted um, in the sense of, you know, I would work late hours and I need my sleep. Uh, you know, so that is something that I just saw as um, I had created this idea for myself when I was so young and everybody kind of thought of me as being the person to go into politics. And then when my dad passed away, kind of said, why don't you live your life the way you want to live your life like your dad did? Uh, so then I kind of started exploring other opportunities. I, um, I worked for a solar company for a little bit. Um, then I went back to a law firm, uh, loved the law firm. They were amazing. Uh, And then I worked, um, at a fundraising graphics company. And so this culmination of, of careers that I've had led me, uh, with the sense of relief I felt in 2016 from using CBD to create this company. So, you know, forming the company, I had the legal, Kind of para, the paralegal background, so I understood the forms and, and the uh, you know legalities behind CBD. Uh, the fundraising graphic company, I created the graphics so you know um, I was editing mailings and so that translates to email blasts and social media posts. So I have all these skills that I've garnered from past jobs or past careers uh, that have helped me come into building my CBD company. Um, but why? And-
0: but why? Talk talk to us about why this became a passion for you to help other people. How the relief that you re, you received from using this product now became the passion, and all of these talents and all of these gifts and all these superpowers you have are now together in one place where you're now offering a gift to people who are in pain, all based on your journey as uh, a Lyme disease patient.
2: So I wanted people to feel the sense of relief I felt. And, uh, it is more geared towards those with Lyme disease because I know what a struggle it can be, but I would love for everybody that thinks CBD may benefit them to give it a try and see if, and how it can help them. Um, right. because. So,
0: so Megan, let's pause that for a second, right? Because I, I want to share with you a little bit about my experience and, and, uh, in CBD and talk about why it may be, one of the most important tools somebody on a Lyme disease journey can can take, right? So Matt, who is the CBD pusher in our community, um, leaned all over me and had me try CBD despite my reservations. And part I of my had res- a part of my part of my reservation was having grown up where you and I both grew up. Um, there there is this uh, strong bias against marijuana use, and it's something that I certainly was led to believe that if I used it would impact my ability to be successful in life, right? And that's what that was a bias that I had. So I've always stayed away from marijuana and marijuana products. Um, and then Matt leaned on me to try it. And the first benefit I got from it was that it mellowed me out emotionally. Like it, it gave me this really mellow feeling, right? Didn't make me tired didn't energize me, but it sort of like evened me out. So I started doing some research on CBD. And what I discovered was that there was a study done where they put people in stressful situations. And the most stressful situation that the study could could, uh, create was forcing people to make a speech before a group of strangers. And they gave one group of people CBD shortly before they gave the speech. And they performed at a much higher level because they were more emotionally even and then the group of people who were the control group didn't take cbd and they performed really badly when they given the speech in this in this uh, high stress environment and i thought wow that's exactly what it was doing for me it was mellowing me out emotionally and keeping more me more even which then resulted in me getting more sleep so the first thing i want to ask you about are those properties that how it helps people emotionally and evens you out. And the reason I think that's really important in the live community is so many people are stuck. So many people who are afraid to take any steps and you're one of the people, by the way, who got stuck, you treated and you stopped and you got sick again. And you treated with one of the best doctors and you stopped and you got sick again. Right. But then you found a tool that allowed you to be more emotionally even and allowed you to go forward with taking all the steps you took to change your life so you can get better so talk about that first piece and why it's important as a as an initial step because again if you're not emotionally ready to move forward with care you're not going to get you're not going to get care and you're not going to get better so talk about that with us first
2: um, yeah. So like you said, the properties of CBD help um, in, in a variety of ways. As I mentioned earlier, they can reduce the cortisol level, which is the stress level, but um, also uh, CBD studies have shown that CBD has um, uh, the ability to increase serotonin levels, which is kind of your feel good chemical. Um, so with increased level of CBD, I'm sorry, with the increased level of serotonin uh, through the CBD, uh, things like de- it can reduce depression, it can um, help you become more at ease. And, and so that is what I would attribute um, CBD to help with that emotional intensity or emotional uh, unease that lyme, exp- lyme experience.
0: All right. So again, you're not making any claims, but the research is showing that it reduces the stress hormones... Well, modulates the stress hormones in some ways and gives you reward chemicals so that you will be more emotionally. Even. Now let's talk about the next thing. Again, I want to talk about my experience after, after, um, after Matt, uh, act as my CBD pusher. Right. So now the next thing that happened for me was that I started to get better sleep right? I didn't have even sleep patterns. And as I started to get more sleep, I started to heal, I started to feel better. And one of the things that we, we're learning in the Lyme community is that you have to get to sort of the fundamental place where you're sleeping, and you're pooping, and you're mm. eating, right? That's the only way that you're going to begin to heal. And I personally had a radical transformation in my ability to sleep now eight hours a day, even though I wasn't sleeping. So can you talk about how CBD will now help in that element of a healing journey where you're now sleeping better?
2: Yeah, as I mentioned uh, earlier about uh, my friend who experienced anxiety, she has all these racing thoughts. So when she's laying in bed at night, she's thinking, oh, what did I do this morning? Uh, Why did I do that this morning? Oh, what am I, I have to do that tomorrow. So that's something that um, the anxiety comes with the line. Um, so that's something that couldn't help the CBD being able to reduce that stress and anxiety. So you're kind of uh, in the moment you're present, you're not thinking what if or what did happen, uh, you're just able to have that sense of clarity. Um, and so that allows you to get a more uh, restful, get to sleep and get a more restful sleep.
0: All right. So so there are properties in the CB that stop your mind from racing and stop you from suffering and having all these racing thoughts. So that gives you the ability to sleep better and it allows you to go on a healing journey. Now, the third thing it did for me is it actually stopped me from having arthritic pain, right? So I'm old. We've established that. And, and, and I used to be an athlete, believe it or not, probably not as good as you, Megan, but I was an athlete as well. So I have an elbow injury, a back injury and a knee injury that were consistently causing me arthritic pain. And what I started to see over time, and I want to talk to you about the consistency element of it is that I had a lower pain level. It started to make me feel less pain. So it was this sort of like miracle thing that I was trying because it stopped me from having pain. Now, one of the things I want to share with you is I went to a conference a week and a half ago, and I didn't take my CBD with me. And I didn't take it with me because I refrigerated it, and I didn't have a place where i refrigerated it. So I said, all right, I'll go a week without my CBD. Unfortunately, what happened when I came back is all my arthritic pain came back in spades. So my elbows been killing me, my knees have been killing me, my back has been killing me. And I now know it's because I didn't have that consistent benefit that I was getting from taking this full spectrum CBD for such a long period of time. So one of the things that I had observed in Matt during the course of the two years we've been doing this podcast together is Matt's always been afraid to try things because he's afraid that he's going to have more pain. So another benefit I think CBD will give folks in the um, in the Lyme community is as it starts to reduce your pain level, it'll make you more likely to try other types of um, of treatments and other types of tools because you're not going to be in pain and you're not going to be afraid that you're going to get some pain from it. So talk to us about that. And that's another sort of principle that I've seen in my own experience where it reduces my pain level and it therefore makes it more likely that I'm going to try other things to improve my health.
2: So, yeah, like I said, um, you know, when I have days that I feel really, really bad and I don't want to work out, Um, you know, I just kind of up my CBD doses that day. Um, So if I'm taking CBD consistently and feeling better, that may mean that I work out more, which in turn, you know, though the serotonin from the workouts, um, that helps me feel better, even more so, uh, which then puts me at ease to get that restful sleep. So it's kind of a domino effect, uh, in the sense of like you said, you try CBD, and it helps you to feel that sense of pain relief, uh, and then it leads you to go ahead and, and try something new that could be beneficial. But for you to get to that pain relieving or, or not experiencing that pain, you have to be willing to try something that you may not want to, um, you know, but it it is a great way to continue moving forward in in your journey, and it could really help.
0: So CBD may be the magic pill, right? And I know you can't make any claims, and this is not Megan saying anything about Uh, about whether it is but it seems to me that it is one of the tools that will help you emotionally and will help you physically on the journey and it's something that if you take it consistently will help you with all of the different healing elements of this journey and again uh, FDA or whoever the uh, whoever the uh, licensing or regulatory agencies are Megan is not saying this Rich is just sharing what his personal experience has been and how this may be something that applies to folks in the Lyme disease community. So Megan, again, let's, let's tie this up. We're, 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 we're going to come to the end of this podcast now. And I I just want you to talk about um, one last piece. And that is um, in the event that um, your uh, mom came walking into your room right after this podcast, and she had a tick biting her on her arm, what would you recommend that she do so that she wouldn't have to go through all the suffering that would, would be a part or requisite part of a chronic Lyme disease journey?
2: Um, First, I would tell her we're going to take the tick and we're going to send it away for testing. Uh, I actually was bit by another tick uh, about two, three months ago. um, And it was actually right under uh, my armpit, uh, more towards my back. Uh, And my girlfriend ended up saying, Hey, what is that? And I was like, that's a tick. So I did send it away. So if someone I loved, if my mom walked in here and said, I got bit by a tick, I would immediately take the tick out, head and all, uh, send it away for testing just to, to be cautious. Uh, and then I would tell her, let's start, uh, taking some CBD. Let's contact some Lyme literate doctors. Um, let's, let's get you on some essential oils, some supplements, um, that I really do find to be helpful for me as well. Um, you know, vitamin D, which is, great for everybody, but um, the the depression side of things that can come with Lyme, you know, that's a great substitute or an addition. Um, And, uh, you know, kind of, let's get you a little bit active, Uh, you know, let's go for some brisk walks, Um, just keeping that healthy um, lifestyle going or or not even going, just starting that healthy lifestyle Um, because all those things can be beneficial um, if the tick does come back and, and Lyme is present.
1: Thank
0: you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Megan Ward. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Megan Ward or purchase your CBD products from her, please visit Ergo Hemco Instagram page at Ergo Hemco. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our posts. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Byte Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.